Welcome back to the Gospel Baptist Church podcast, where we focus on the Bible and God's plan for our lives. Though this day in history is filled with pain and confusion, the Bible offers the hope and instruction we all need. So let's dive into today's message and hear how God's Word has the answers for today. An open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. And the last verse we're going to read for the text. He that hath an ear, let him hear with the Spirit saith unto the churches, let's pray, let's come before God. Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful day. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house, and we thank you for Sundays, a day that we can set aside everything and come before you and worship in your presence and renew our focus, renew our hearts, and get ready for the week that you have before us. I pray that you would speak to each one of us, draw us into your presence, and help us leave determined to stay in that presence for the rest of the week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, there wasn't... Yes? This is going down now. Okay. Let me fix this real fast. Sorry, folks, real fast. These batteries. Make sure I put it on the right side. It blows up, you know, the console. Yeah. Hopefully now. Okay. Right, hopefully that works better. Is that better? Yeah. All right, good. Okay. Um, so there was an elderly pastor, right, who was rebuked once by his deacons. Uh, one Sunday morning before the service, they came to him and said, Pastor, something must be wrong with your preaching and with your work. The reason is there's only been one person added to the church this whole year, and even at that, he's just a boy. The minister listened, and his eyes moistened, and his thin hand trembled. He said, I feel it all, but God knows I've tried to do my duty. On that day, the minister's heart was heavy as he stood before his flock. As he finished the message, he felt a strong inclination to resign. After everyone else had left, that one boy came to him and asked, Do you think if I worked really hard for an education, I could become a preacher, perhaps even a missionary? The minister said, Yes. This heals the ache in my heart that I have. It brings back tears, but this time tears of joy. Robert, I see the divine hand now. May God bless you. I think you 
will become a preacher. Many years later, an aged missionary returned to London from Africa. His name was spoken with reverence. Nobles invited him to their homes. He had added many souls to the family of God and became one of the most famous missionaries to ever set foot in Africa. His name was Robert Moffat. The same Robert who years before had spoken to the pastor that one Sunday morning in that old Scottish church. Why wasn't Robert overlooked? Why did someone take the time to train a boy who had high aspirations? The answer is one consistent Scottish pastor. And together, I want to look at three reasons why we too should be consistent. Like that old Scottish pastor who changed the world by simply being consistent. The first point I want to look at is why we should be consistent is that we walk through God's doors. We walk through God's doors. Look back at Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 there. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7. It says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast not, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. This passage of scripture tells us we walk through God's doors, not our own. We're talking about the God who opens the doors that we can't shut, and who shuts the doors that we can't open. This isn't my life. This isn't my career. This isn't my family. This isn't my choice. This isn't even my body. This isn't, the world tells us this is your life, you do what you want. The world tells us this is your body, you do, do what you want. The world tells us this is your family, you do whatever you want. God says, it's mine. It's my doors that I've opened for you. This isn't your choice to do whatever you want. God says, I open the doors that no one can shut. And I shut the doors that no one can open. As Christians, we're gods. The Bible tells us we are bought with a price. He says, glorify God with your body because it's his temple. And so when we live life, it's important to remember that we're not walking through our own doors. We're walking through God's doors. And if God opens a door in our life, no man can shut it. And I praise God that no man can shut the doors that God opens. Because when God opens a door in your life that you need to walk through, and you walk through it, no person can stop you doing it if it's God's will. That's right. And I praise God that He shuts doors that no one can open, because there's many times in our life where we would have walked through a disaster store and God shut it in our, in our, in our face, and we don't understand why God was shutting this door until He opens another door later and we understand why He shut that first door. There was a humorous uh, situation that happened between a husband and a wife. A husband and a wife prior to marriage decided that the husband would make all the major decisions and the wife would make all the minor ones. After 20 years of marriage, the husband was asked, How did, how's the arrangement going? He goes, great. In all these years, I've never had to make a decision. <laughs> because everything in our lives is made up of smaller decisions, right? 
Every single major decision we ever come to is because we took one step here, and one step here, and one step here, and it led to a major decision. So, when we're talking about God opening doors and God closing doors, it's not like you open, we wake up one day and God says, here's the plan for your life, walk through this door and you'll be successful. And it's not like we will wake up one day and God says, these are all the bad decisions in your life, don't walk through any of these doors and you'll be successful. It's God through his Holy Spirit coming to you and saying, I want you to go to church this Sunday. I want you to pass out that tract. I want to tell I want you to tell this person about me. I want you to go to this college. I want you to choose this career. It's each decision that God tells us, I want you to leave this job. I want you to go to this job. Every decision God tells us, it's another door that he's opening for us that leads to the next hallway. And there's a great quote that I love. It says, if God hasn't opened any doors for you, wait in the hallway. Yeah. And you know what, I think sometimes we get frustrated when we say, God, why haven't you opened any doors for me? I can't see what you're doing. Why? And God's saying, just wait in the hallway. I'm, I'm opening the door, but you've got to wait for the right time. If we look back at Genesis chapter 7, verses 15 and 16, you don't have to turn there, but Genesis chapter 7, 15 and 16 say, And they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Why am I reading about Noah? Because God had left the ark door open for a hundred years. And Noah had been building the ark all of this time. And the people had ages to turn to God. But on the day that God said, I'm going to send rain, God closed the door. Noah, it was not his idea to build the ark. Noah, it wasn't his idea to call the whole world to repentance. It wasn't his idea to load all the animals onto the ark. And it wasn't his idea to shut the door. God was in control of that door. When God says, this is the window to get saved, and this is the window when your time is up, God has prerogative over those doors. And so, what is so important that we learn from the story of Noah, it's important that we don't put God off. It's important when God says, I want you to make this decision, we don't say, God, next year. After I'm done with this summer, next Sunday, next time, God, maybe, but you know I got this going on. Because God doesn't have, we don't, God doesn't owe us that open door for the rest of our lives. So when God opens the door to the ark figuratively, and he says, go through this door, go through the door. But then when God closed the door, there were people beating on that ark. They wanted to get help. They wanted to be saved. But they couldn't. Because God's prerogative was, when I close the door, I close the door, and it's done. But it's not, it is a bad thing for some people. Because some people won't go through that door, and their time gets up. But I want to tell you, it's such a safe thing when you walk through God's doors. Because when Noah went through the door of the ark and God closed the door, Noah couldn't leave, and that was his protection. So when you go through that door that God's telling you, you need to go through this door... And God closes that door behind you. It's your protection. You're staying in God's will. It's protecting you from all the bad decisions that are so easy to make. So not only does God's closed doors keep us out of where we should have been if we don't go in, but those that go in are protected because they are safe in God's will. So know your doors. When God says to you, I want you 
to go witness to this person. No, that's an open door. When God tells you, wait to talk to them about Jesus, no, it's a closed one. When God tells you, I want you to leave your job because you need to move to something else. Or when God tells you, I want you to go and take this degree because you can glorify me most in this, know the doors and go through God's doors because being in God's will is the greatest protection of your life. To protect you from the arrows of Satan, to protect you from the lies of the world, to protect us even from ourselves when we want to make the wrong decisions in our lives. So know your doors. But secondly, we walk understood. Let's look back at Revelation 3 and verse 8. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 8. God says, I know. It's one of the most beautiful parts of all Revelation 3.8. Those first two words. I know. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Jesus knows a few things about us. Jesus knows our weaknesses. Let's turn to Hebrews 4, chapter 15 and 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Jesus knows our weakness. Hebrews 4, verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We don't have a high priest that never experienced what we have experienced. It's that we have a high priest that has been exactly where we are. We say so frequently, God came to earth in the form of Jesus in the flesh. But is it easy to breeze over that without thinking what that means? Like, what did Jesus have to leave to come to us? Like, what beauty in heaven did God have to come to live in a cattle stall? Be born in a cattle stall. What kind of perfect obedience of the angels did Jesus have to leave to watch people constantly disrespect his authority? What kind of amazing authority and power and view of the whole universe did Jesus come to to only have the Pharisees tell him you can't eat that on Sabbath day? Jesus left so much to come to us. And then he took on our flesh. The flesh that can get sick. That's subject to decay. Jesus even subjected himself to death. Jesus left a perfect body that never could experience pain and came to earth where we're full of pain. But Jesus came, among many reasons, because he wanted us to understand he knows our weaknesses. And he knows what it's like to be tempted to sin. And he knows what it's like when the devil comes to you, and the devil came to Jesus for 30 long days and tempted him. And for 30 long days, Jesus fasted and denied his body. He was weak with hunger. He was in a worse state than most of us have been in. Hungry, hot, desperate. And yet he refused the devil's temptations. And then he subjected himself to the cross. The worst form of death imaginable. Suffering unbelievably. To the point that he wasn't even unrecognizable. Why? Because we can't say, Jesus, you don't understand. This is too hard. Jesus, you don't understand. You've never sinned. Jesus 
took the whole sin of the world on himself. And so it is amazing to be able to say, my high priest knows exactly what I'm going through. Because no other man can claim that. Other men will go through what you've gone through, but no man has experienced every experience that you've experienced. But Jesus knows. And so you can come to that high priest and say, Jesus, I know you know exactly how I feel. Help me. And it'll be 100% true. But there's something else that Jesus knows. He knows that we're not the only ones to ever go through the temptation. There's a verse in the Bible that says, that temptation is not taken, but such is common to man. But God provides a way out of that temptation, the Bible tells us. That we can escape it. So not only does Jesus understand you, but you can find another person around you who's gone through the same thing. Another, the, the lie of the devil is that no one knows how you're feeling. No one has experienced what you're experiencing. This, you are unique and you're a failure. That's the lie of the devil. But Jesus is saying, no, I know and I have... There's other people in the world that are going through exactly what you're going through. And they know how it feels, and they have gotten the victory, and you can't too. Mm -hmm. So Jesus knows, he knows, and he knows. There's other Christians that go through that too. And he is with you, and they are there for you too. But there's another part of this verse that's so beautiful. Not only does Jesus know exactly how we feel, but he says in Hebrews 4, to come boldly unto the throne of grace. Because Jesus knows exactly how we're going through, what we're going through, we don't have to come like a whipped dog with his tail between his legs. We can come before God and say, God, you know exactly how I feel. Please embolden me to give me the strength to do what's right. Because you know what it's like. You know what it's like to get the victory. I'm going to not fear this. I'm going to go straight for the victory. Help me. That's what Jesus is telling us. Now, there was this really cool story about this guy named Hugh Latimer, and he lived uh, hundreds of years ago, and he once preached before King Henry VIII, and uh, King Henry VIII was not uh, that pleased with the sermon, to say the least, and he said um, to Hugh Latimer, preach the same sermon, uh, uh, no, preach a different sermon on the following Sunday, and apologize for the previous sermon. So Hugh Latimer, after reading, came the next Sunday, read the passage that he was going to preach for, from, and said this, Hugh Latimer, dost thou know before whom thou art this day to speak? To the high and mighty monarch, the king's most excellent majesty, who can take away thy life if thou offendest. Therefore, take heed that thou speakest not a word that may displease. But then consider well, Hugh, Dost thou not know from whence thou comest, upon whose message thou art sent, even by the great and mighty God who is all present and who beholdeth all thy ways and who is able to cast thy soul into hell? Therefore, take care that thou deliverest thy message faithfully. He preached the same message and he preached it with more passion. Amen. What did Hulatimer understand? He understood that fear is real, that the difficulty is real. That he's dead scared of getting killed by Henry VIII. But he said, my fear of God is more than my fear of man. Amen. He said, man can take away my body, but God has control over my soul. Yeah. Therefore, I will fear God and not man. And I will come boldly before the throne of grace and do what God commands me to do, regardless of what man does to me. Because God, if God is for me, 
who can be against me? So Hulam understood this. He understood Jesus knows us. He knows our struggles. He knows the difficulty. And Jesus is there to give us the victory. And there's a second thing that Jesus knows about us. He knows our, our works. Revelation 3.8 says, I know thy works. If we can, let's actually turn back there because we're going to talk about this a little bit. Revelation 3.8. Revelation 3.8. Jesus uh, says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Jesus says, to you who are faithful, to you who do the will of God, to you who do the good works that I have commanded you, I know what you're doing, and I bless you. Jesus is saying, I know you who are struggling to be faithful to God. I know what you're doing, and I shine my favor upon you. God is saying, even if other people don't understand how much you're trying to do for God and how hard the struggle is, I'm telling you, I know exactly what you are doing. You don't have to turn there, but in Romans 11, verses 2 to 5, the Bible says, God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew, Watch ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life? But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved myself seven thousand men who have not bowed down the knee, who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then at this present time also there's a remnant according to the election of grace. There is a thing that I like to call Elijah Syndrome. And what it looks like is, man, I'm serving God, and it's hard, and nobody else is there with me, and I'm just the most faithful, only most faithful person here. And that's what Elijah was going through. He was like, God, I challenged the whole nation of Israel, and I stood up, and all the people said, Amen, God is the Lord, and then where are they now? Yeah. And I killed so many people under prophets of Baal, and now Jezebel's coming back after me. God, why am I the only person who ever listens to you? And that's why I call Elijah syndrome. And God came to Elijah and he said, I have 7,000 men. Praise God for the remnant. Amen. Praise God that God has his men and his women in every country. And there is not a time where you can say, God, I'm the only person being faithful, even if it feels like it. And even if the devil comes to you and he says, you're the only person who's trying hard, God is saying, I have my 7,000 men. I have my people who are being faithful. There is always a remnant. God knows our works. And he knows that other people are there, even if you don't see them right now. But this has two sides to it. God knows the works of people that don't do the works. Yeah. You see, it's such a comfort to say, when I'm serving God faithfully, God knows my works. But it's a very different thing to say, God knows my works that I'm not doing. Mm -hmm. And when God has told us to be faithful, and we're not, and we're making excuses, God standing there saying, I know your works. And I chastise those who I love. And those who do my will get treasures in heaven. And those who don't, 
won't. So guys, I'm urging us as Gospel Baptist Church here in Luke can do the works of God. Because yeah. God knows. And even if everyone thinks that you're right with God, maybe you aren't, maybe you aren't, God knows. Yeah. God knows the effort we're putting in. And sometimes that's a beautiful thing and sometimes it's a very scary thing. But I pray that each one of us will be proud of the work that God is getting glorified for and not afraid that when we go to heaven, he'll know the works we haven't done. So Jesus knows our weakness. He knows our works. He also knows our strength is small. Back to Revelation 3.8. It says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength. God gives us just enough. Judges 7, 2, you don't have to turn there, it says, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, My own hand hath saved me. Gideon had gathered the armies of Israel together, and he had ten thousands of men. And they were still greatly outnumbered by the Midianites. And God said, That's too many. And I'm sure Gideon was like, What? Too many? We're already outnumbered. God reduced it to 400. Why? Because God doesn't get the glory when men think we have been faithful to God. You understand what I'm saying? The focus isn't we have been faithful yeah. to God. The focus is we have been faithful to God. Yeah. It's not that I've been here, I've been standing, I've been fighting for God. The focus is I've been fighting for God. And God has been getting glory. And God is getting glory over Lucan. And God is getting glory over Ireland. And God is getting glory over the world. That's the focus. God. And so God said, I'll bring down your armies to 400 men because that's impossible. And I love doing the impossible. Yeah. Because only God gets glory when the impossible happens. Amen. But there's a good truth as well. Not only does God give us just enough where he takes away strength, but he gives strength too. Because God can see when we have too little strength. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as the common, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you that ye may be able to bear it. God is saying, there's going to be hard times in your life, and you're not going to have enough strength, and I'm going to be there to give you the strength. Because God gives us enough strength. He doesn't give us too much that we take the glory. And he doesn't give us too little so we don't do it. He says, here's the strength. Come get it. Because here's the facts. God doesn't give us strength for us to sit there and do nothing. When we go forward and we say, God, we're doing this. God gives us the strength. God gave the victory to Gideon when Gideon said, gather the men. God gave the victory to Gideon when Gideon was willing to cut down on the men. And God gave the victory to Gideon when Gideon came to the Midianites, surrounded them, and did the craziest war tactic that man has ever heard of, bar maybe Jericho. He, they took up torches and yelled. And they had no weapons on them. And that sounds like a good way to die. But God said it's a good way for me to win. So God doesn't give us strength so we can sit there it's when we say, God, I'm following, God says, here's just enough. Now walk a step. 
And we walk that step and God says, here's just another, walk another step. Because this is a faith life, not a sight life. Proverbs 3, 5, and 7 echoes this heart. It says, trust, sorry, I'm going to jump ahead of myself. Proverbs 3, 7 to 9 says, two things have I required of thee, deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of the Lord my God in vain. What is this person saying? He understands this concept of God giving enough. He's saying, God, I don't want as much as you could possibly give me. And I don't want the bare minimum. Just give me enough. Because I don't want to be struggling to do your will and find it impossible. And I don't want to be so full of myself that I think I can do anything. Just give me enough so that I can just do your will and you get the glory and we just move on with it. And that's the heart of the Christian. He's saying, God, I don't want everything and I don't want nothing. I just want what you want for me. So it's you, it's you, it's not me. Why else does God do this? He does it because he wants us to trust him. Proverbs 3, 5 to 7 say, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto, unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Let's not be looking in our own sight and saying, God, I think I need this. And God, I, I think this. Let's be dependent on him. Because God gives us enough for him. So we trust him and not our own ways. So God knows our strength is small, but God also knows that we're fighting hard. Revelation 3, verse 8 says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. That end of the verse, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Jesus knows that we are fighting hard to keep God's word pure in a wicked world. He knows that we're trying to raise a Christian family in a world that is anti-family. He knows that we're trying to think biblically in a world that thinks anything but biblically. He knows we're trying to keep sharing the gospel when people don't want to hear the gospel. He knows that we're trying, and he says, I know you are keeping my word. I know it. And he knows... You have not denied my name. We have not left this cause. We're still here fighting for God. We're still keeping his word. We have not yet denied his name. We're not leaving him. He says, I know. He says, I know. The battle's hard. You keep fighting. But why are we doing it? Why are we here? Why do we keep fighting for God? Why don't we just give up? 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now abideth faith, hope, Charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. It's the same reason in John 3 16. For God so loved. It's love. It's because we know, or we should know, the price of Jesus' love. We know that Jesus gave so much to come and give us the opportunity to be His. We know that Jesus left everything. For a people who many of them would reject it. And that was love. And we're here holding God's word in a world that wants to destroy it. 
And we're here holding on to the faith in a place that is faithless because we decide that God's love is worth my love. In fact, it's so much more that I can't do anything else but just give my bit. God's love is so tremendous, so overwhelming, I can't do anything but just say, God, just help me love you. Give me charity. The Bible says there's three really important things here. Now abide in faith, that conviction that God is right. We know the Bible is true. That's our conviction. That's our faith. It says hope. We hope and trust in the Lord. We know that his word is not only true today, but it will be true tomorrow and the day afterwards. We know that Jesus is coming back soon. We know that he's bringing his rewards. We know that the devil will lose. We know these things. This is our hope. So these things are important. We know we have faith, we have hope. But the important, most important thing is charity. Because if we don't love God, everything else will crumble. We won't trust his word if we don't see the love of God in there. We won't trust him if, if we don't trust that he loves us now. We won't trust that he'll love us in the future. You have to understand the depth of God's love and respond with charity towards God if you want any of this to work. So God knows we are keeping his word and we have not denied his name because of the love of Christ constrains us. But we also know that God wins in the end. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Really comforting verse, right? <laughs> Here's the comfort. God wins. Yeah. We're here fighting hard and we're sweating. We're thinking, this doesn't seem to be going anywhere. This battle is a losing one. And God's saying, the war's already over. Yeah. I defeated Satan on the cross. I rose again to give you victory in your life. This is not a maybe God will win in the end. It's already decided. This plot is written. So if the war is won, let's fight hard for the battle. Because although the war is victorious and Jesus has already won, we're still in this battle today. Yeah. We still got to hold on to God's word today. We still got to hold on to the faith that God is right and the hope that Jesus promises will come true. We got to hold on to that today because this battle is not over. The third and last point is that we walk briefly. We should be consistent because we walk briefly. Let's turn back to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 11. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 11. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. God's return is soon. The word we use is imminent. It could happen at any time. I think of the song, maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, and maybe soon. Jesus is coming back very, very soon. And because God is coming back so soon, we need to be faithful now. Amen. Because this is eternity and this is our lives. 
This is all of eternity. God lives in eternity, past and eternity, future and eternity, present. God inhabits eternity. And our tiny little portion is just here. And when it's over, it's over. Game's done. We've got to be faithful now because God is coming soon. And he commands us, hold that fast which thou hast. Your strength is little, the faith is hard, the battle's wearying, but hold fast because I am coming. I also think of the song that says, hold the fort for I am coming. Jesus signals still. And we must wave the answer back to heaven. By thy grace we will. By thy grace we will still hold fast because Jesus is coming soon. It's easy to hold loosely to God's things. It's easy to say, well, you know, I think God is right, but you know, people have different opinions, and it's okay. Or you disagree with me, oh, that's all right, we all have our opinions. That's easy for us to say, that's what our world says. But Jesus is saying, no, hold fast. Say, I may disagree with you, I still love you, but God is right. And I'm holding to what God says, not what man says. Man can say this is the solution, but I know God is the solution. Man can say this is the problem, but I know sin is the problem. And man may say, where is the promise that God is returning? Yeah. It's been so long since that promise. The, the fathers that he now promised to are dead. It's right there in the scripture. People will say that. What's the answer? God's not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, but he's long-suffering to us who not only that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. We know the reason God hasn't come back yet to reign on earth. He hasn't ended this whole universe. Because he's waiting for us and the world to repent. He's, he's wanting those souls that need to be saved to be saved. He's not ending everything just yet because he's loving. And we, through that love, display back to him by holding tight. In the last part of that verse, that no man take thy crown, God's rewards here are at risk. If we can't hold fast, we can't have the crown. The Bible says if we don't strive lawfully, you don't get the prize. We're all in a race, not against each other, but against, but with God's will for our lives. And we can either run the opposite way or run with it. And God says if you hold fast, my rewards will be given. There's a poem that kind of summarizes what we're talking about. When we want God to work, we want it to be big. So we ask him if with multitudes his work will consist. Hundreds if not thousands we believe is what God needs. Just a faithful few will never do the deed. But then there is Gideon who started with ten thousands of men and God reducing the army to 300 for his glory, not the honor of men. Then we see young David, not even fully grown, coming to slay a giant, though all alone. We see him rise in victory or Goliath, the Philistine, and almost baffling seems the height of God's esteem. Then enters Jonathan with his armor bearer in stride to fight the battle from which others would rather hide. When he leaves the field, victorious as his title, the sound of godly praise drowned out the mighty, the vile. When at last we come to Paul, chained with bonds against the Roman cell wall, we ask him how the world for Christ was won. Surely by mighty numbers it was done. The apostles' answer rings out so clear today. 
Twasn't the mighty number that carried the day, but through two shackled wayfarers whose midnight song could not be stayed. So if we ever dream that we should limit God to only work when multitudes will laud, Scripture contends such numerical fascinations. For God is not looking for mighty armies and great nations, but simply seeks a soldier consistent in their station. God doesn't need everyone. God doesn't need anyone. But God wants you. God doesn't need us. He's God. With a, flip of his, uh, with a click of his finger, he could have the whole world saved. But he chooses to give us a choice. And he wants his will to be done, not because he can just think about it and it be done. He wants to use you. He wants you to use me. He chooses to use us. So the question now for us is, will we walk consistently? It's not about doing everything at once. It's not about being great. It's about where God has put us. Are we just going to be faithful there? Why? Because we're walking through God's doors. Because we walk understood. And because we walk briefly. May God find us consistent. That Bow before the Lord. Can we in prayer? Let's pray over what we've heard this morning. <clears throat> Father in heaven, thank you so much for the word of Thank you for listening to today's message on the Gospel Baptist Church podcast. To view this and similar messages as a video or for more information about Gospel Baptist Church, head over to lucanchurch.com. That's lucanchurch.com. Thank you again and God bless.